0: Hi, and welcome to this latest episode from 1914 to 1918, war.com. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at the Zimmerman telegram, which uh, was instrumental in bringing the United States into the First World War. As always, uh, take a look at the substack at 1914.1918.substack.com. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, There, I'm putting out a weekly newsletter of articles that have piqued my interest from around the internet uh, related to the first world war i also put up uh, longer form work that i've spent time writing Um, some of that available as premium content but a lot of it for free Uh, and the notes for this particular podcast will be on there as well so uh, give it a look try it for free it doesn't cost you anything you can always unsubscribe if you don't like it okay with that over let's get on with the show The Zimmerman telegram the explosive message that helped to bring the United States into the first world war. at the tail end of 1916. The Battle of Verdun had just come to its exhausting end, and the Germans, having brought France perilously close to collapse, were casting around for their next war winning strategy. The Germans had found their plan to bleed the French army dry had turned into a titanic struggle that drained their own manpower as the French heroically defended the forts around Verdun. Also during 1916, President Wilson's peace efforts had been picking up pace as he sought to find a negotiated end to the conflict, or as he termed it, peace without victory. Essentially a compromise that was bound to please no one. Recognising that the war had developed a life of its own, and both sides were focused solely on achieving a crushing victory, Wilson had requested that the belligerents send him a statement of their war aims. He hoped that this would help him to understand if there was a possibility of a brokered agreement to end the war. Germany still considered that victory was within her grasp. Verdun had weakened the French, the Russians were wobbling and the British were still junior partners on the continent. France was committed to driving the invader off French territory and, motivated by the need for revenge and reparations, was hardly inclined towards a negotiated settlement. The British were recovering from setbacks on the Somme and were rebuilding their strength. In addition, the British were taking more responsibility on the Western Front in order to relieve the hard-pressed French. As well as the war on land, the British continued to use their superior navy to enforce the naval blockade of the Central Powers. Put in place at the beginning of the war, the blockade was biting hard into the German economy and now the Germans saw an opportunity to give the British a taste of their own medicine. In January 1917, The German leadership decided that they would resume their attempt to bring the British to their knees by using their powerful submarine fleet to blockade Britain. A previous attempt in 1915 to conduct a policy of unrestricted submarine warfare, where submarines would sink any ship approaching Britain, had been abandoned in the face of American pressure and the threat that America could enter the war. Returning to their policy carried the same risks as before, but the Germans facing genuine hardship, were ready to take a gamble. On the 31st of January 1917, Germany sent its war aims to President Wilson. Taken at face value, this was a step towards a negotiated settlement and ultimately peace. However, the Germans declared the resumption of unrestricted submarine warfare at the same time, with all shipping at risk from the 1st of February 1917, just one day after the announcement. The change in policy was announced at short notice to scare off neutral merchant shipping and to catch the British by surprise, giving them no time to stockpile food and other war materials. The Germans hoped that this new policy, if implemented ruthlessly, represented a real chance of bringing the British to their knees. The resumption of unrestricted submarine warfare was a shock to President Wilson at a time when he felt he was making progress with his peace aims. Now, instead of examining the war aims of the belligerents and working to find common ground and areas for negotiation, he was faced with what must have seemed to be a deliberately provocative act against the United States. Wilson consulted his cabinet and the Democratic Party leadership in the Senate, and following these discussions, issued the German ambassador with his passports, dismissing him from his post. Whilst this was a popular decision, it was still essentially a diplomatic move, America was still a long way from declaring war as neither public opinion nor the political climate favoured war. It would take the events surrounding the so-called Zimmermann telegram to harden American public opinion and push the United States closer to entering the war on the side of the Entente. Arthur Zimmermann, a career diplomat, was appointed as German Foreign Minister on the 22nd of November 1916 a government insider who had been involved in the outbreak of the war and attempts to instigate an Irish rebellion against the British, it was Zimmermann's job to maintain and form alliances with friendly powers. On the 16th of January 1917, Zimmermann sent a telegram to Count Bernstorff, the German ambassador in Washington, with instructions for it to be sent on to Heinrich von Eckhart, the German minister in Mexico City. The telegram represented a bit of forward planning by the Germans about what to do should the Americans enter the war on the side of the Entente. The spectre of American entry had hung over the Germans throughout the war. Zimmermann's telegram authorised von Eckart to approach the Mexican government with an offer of generous financial assistance should the Mexicans attack the Americans. From a German perspective this made a lot of sense offering the Mexicans, in exchange for German money, the chance to recover the territories they lost between 1846 and 1848 in their war with the United States. Mexico would recover Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and Germany would gain an ally capable of attacking America directly and distracting them from the war in Europe. Surely no American president would send troops overseas when American land was threatened. A bonus stratagem was to ask the Mexican president, Venestiano Carranza, to try and persuade the Japanese to switch sides from their alliance with the Entente to join the Central Powers. Whilst the telegram is normally portrayed as a wholly German initiative, the offer of an alliance had in fact been suggested by the Mexicans in 1916, and the Zimmermann telegram resurrected this idea at a time of Germany's choosing. The whole scheme has an air of wishful thinking and of strategy drawn up on a map in Berlin, with little appreciation of the terrain that separates Mexico from the United States. Given the natural barriers between Mexico and the southern states, it's unlikely that any Mexican invasion would have achieved its aims and certainly they would have struggled to hold any occupied territory. The Germans sent the telegram via three diplomatic routes to ensure its safe delivery via shortwave radio to a United States-authorised German receiving station on Long Island, through the Swedish government and their intercontinental undersea cable to the United States, and finally via the link between the United States Berlin Embassy and Washington. This latter route had been provided by the American government to allow the Germans to communicate with Washington as a part of President Wilson's peace initiatives So, it's pretty cheeky that the Germans were using it to try and organise an alliance against the United States. Now, the extraordinary reach of the British intelligence services can be seen as all three encrypted transmissions were intercepted. The wireless radio message was copied down via radio listening stations and, on the face of it, represented the least surprising interception. The two undersea cable routes represented a more impressive feat. At the outbreak of the war, German transatlantic cables had been cut by the British and as a result Germany was reliant on Swedish and American undersea cables. However these two routes passed through a British relay station near Land's End in Cornwall. At the point where these vital communication links touched British soil, the British had tapped into the cable and were monitoring the neutral government's messages. This activity was unbeknownst to either the Swedish or American governments, who would have taken rather a dim view of this violation of their neutrality. The telegram was passed to Room 40 at the Admiralty, where Britain's code-breaking activities were carried out. The telegram was partially decoded by British codebreakers, who, legend says, had obtained a copy of the relevant codebook back in 1915 when they had captured a Wilhelm Vasmus- A German agent in Persia. The reality, it appears, may be less glamorous, with the code being cracked through hard work and detailed cryptanalysis. It's possible that the captured codebook story may have been spread to conceal British code-breaking capabilities. After all, if it became known that they could break one German code, it followed that they might be able to break others and the last thing a codebreaker wants is for everyone to think that they must change or strengthen their codes. The British were able to partially decode the Germans 0075 and 13040 diplomatic codes. The 0075 code was used to send the telegram to the German embassy in the United States. From there, the telegram was re-encoded in the 13040 code for onward transmission to the German embassy in Mexico City. The telegram was partially decrypted within a day of receipt and passed to Reginald Blinker Hall, the Director of Naval Intelligence. Uh, If you take a look at him uh, on the internet, you'll see that he really does match his description as a demonic Mr Punch in uniform. When Hall saw the decrypt, he saw that he had a problem. The contents of the telegram were political dynamite and if disclosed to the Americans, could help to bring them into the war on the side of the Entente. However, not only was his department's interception of US and Swedish communications illegal, but revealing the source of the telegram would cause the US State Department to change its codes or even find an alternative communications route, things which Hall didn't want to happen. In violation of his orders, Hall decided to hold back on sharing the contents of the telegram with the Foreign Office and the Admiralty until he was able to provide a plausible cover story. As always in the world of secret intelligence, it was important not to reveal how one gained access to the enemy's secrets. In an extraordinary coup, a copy of the telegram was subsequently stolen by a British agent in Mexico City, providing the perfect cover story for how the British came to possess the message. The stolen code was encrypted using the older 13040 code that the British had a much more complete understanding of, and a full decryption was made. The full text of the telegram is as follows. We intend to begin, on February 1st, unrestricted submarine warfare. We shall endeavour, in spite of this, to keep the United States of America neutral. In the event of this not succeeding, we make Mexico a proposal of alliance on the following basis. Make war together, make peace together. Generous financial support and an understanding on our part that Mexico is to reconquer the lost territory in Texas, New Mexico and Arizona. The settlement in detail is left to you. You will inform the President of the above most secretly as soon as the outbreak of war with the United States of America is certain and add the suggestion that he should, on his own initiative, invite Japan to immediate adherence and at the same time mediate between Japan and ourselves. Please call the President's attention to the fact that the ruthless employment of our submarines now offers the prospect of compelling England in a few months to make peace. Signed, Zimmerman, Foreign Minister. Aware of the political value of the contents of this message, the next problem was to communicate it to the Americans in a way that would be believed After all, this was exactly the kind of message that the British would create if they wanted to trick the United States into the war. Hall pondered the problem and arranged for Arthur Balfour, the former Prime Minister, to present the telegram to Edward Bell, who was a secretary at the United States Embassy in Britain. Bell was in regular contact with Hall on naval intelligence matters and was told about the telegram on the 19th of February. Bell was understandably concerned that it was a fake, however was soon convinced of its veracity when the British showed that certain intercept information could be checked against telegraphic records. Once convinced it was real, Bell was outraged and exclaimed, Texas and Arizona? Why not Illinois and New York while they're about it? Hall asked Bell not to send the telegram on to his government at this time, stating that the Foreign Office had not yet decided how to handle the new information, but he must have known that Bell would pass it straight on to Walter Hines Page, the US Ambassador to Britain, and from there it was almost certain to be relayed to the American government in Washington. The Ambassador duly passed the information to President Woodrow Wilson, who in turn released it to the press on the 28th of February 1917. A lively debate took place in the newspapers, about whether the telegram was a fake, but by March, Arthur Zimmermann himself had admitted it was true to both the press and the Reichstag. What he hoped to achieve by such an admission, when he could see how the debate was playing out in America, we can only speculate. But his intention was probably different to how events turned out. Until this point, American public opinion had shown little inclination for intervention in the European war. For example, after the sinking of the Lusitania, an event that was likely to influence opinion, President Wilson's view was that the American public wanted a double wish. They wanted to defend American commercial interests, but were against any action that could draw the United States into the conflict. The American public's double wish revealed a conflict that both sides sought to resolve. The battle to win American support was not just fought by American opinion formers, both the Entente and Central Powers courted American public sentiment and attempted to swing it in their favour. The German propaganda effort was hampered by the facts on the ground. Their aggression against Belgium, widespread atrocity stories and the sinking of American ships all counted against them. Quite frankly, the German propaganda effort was generally less skillful and was often tone-deaf in the way it presented its material. In contrast, British propaganda efforts, orchestrated from Britain's secretive war propaganda bureau at Wellington House, were more skilful and were carefully tailored to the target audience. However, despite these advantages, they had so far failed to swing the needle of public opinion towards the Entente. In the context of the battle for public opinion, the resumption of unrestricted submarine warfare on the first of February was a risky moment for the Germans, who had, in the words of Zimmermann, gambled that everything will be all right, America will do nothing, for President Wilson is for peace and nothing else. It seemed, at first, that Zimmerman was right. On the 3rd of February, just after the declaration extending the submarine effort, Wilson severed diplomatic ties. However, he held back from asking Congress to declare war, explaining that it would require an actual overt act of aggression to make him do so, unless American ships were sunk... Germany was safe. It seemed that the German assessment had been correct, and they had successfully escalated the naval war without serious diplomatic incident. However, within the month, the Zimmermann telegram appears to have shifted President Wilson's own opinion. When he read the decoded message on the 19th of February, he purportedly reacted with much indignation, and it seems never doubted its veracity. Perhaps this and the move to sink neutral shipping had finally made up his mind that the Germans were not acting in good faith to his peace overtures. It wasn't just the President's opinion that was changing. The telegram, coupled with the resumption of unrestricted submarine warfare on the 1st of February, shifted the needle towards American involvement in the war, as significant numbers of American publications shifted their positions to support intervention in Europe against Germany. A little over a month later, on the 6th of April 1917, the United States, with its enormous industrial power and untapped reserves of manpower, would enter the war. Declaring war only on the Germans and not joining Britain and France in a formal alliance, the Americans shifted the balance of power firmly towards the Entente and paved the way for victory in 1918. Hope you've enjoyed that overview of the Zimmerman telegram incident and how it affected American opinion. It was an interesting one to write and quite confusing at times as the scholarship in this area has changed over the years. As always, check out the Substack, uh, subscribe, review, all those good things and I'll look forward to you being here at the next episode. Thanks a lot. Bye.